that's kind of where we're going. I, let me pick up on a, a thing or two that we just heard in the gospel. Okay, so you get it. There are two disciples that are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. One of them is Cleopas, and we don't know who the other one is. But they're walking along, and they are downcast because they think it's over, Rover. Jesus is dead. Even though the, the women came back this morning, they were saying crazy things. They must be out of their mind, you know, that his body's there and angels and all that. But who sees angels? And, and they're telling, they don't know they're telling Jesus this because they don't recognize him. But, but they said this line to Jesus. We had, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. That's, I want you to notice what they didn't say. They didn't say, we had hoped he was the Messiah who could get us into heaven. They said, we hoped he had come to rescue Israel. And to them, that meant something very tangible. It meant uh, getting rid of the Romans. It meant restoring the, the calling and the, the privileges that the people of Israel had as the people of God. Uh, it, it meant them being able to enter into being the people that revealed the true God to the rest of the world. And part of the way of doing that is to, to overcome the, the Romans and all of their gods and to show that all of those gods really aren't gods at all. We had hoped he was the guy who was going to help us do that. And I think that's, that's important for us to recognize, because too often in the West, over the past couple of hundred years, we have boiled down the gospel to the idea that we get to get forgiven of all the bad things that we've done so that we can go to heaven. And that is not the gospel. That is a smidgen of the gospel, but that is not the whole of the gospel. The whole of the gospel is, is implied more by that verse that we're looking at. Rescuing Israel. It's bigger than going to heaven. You are meant for more than being just good boys and girls. So, how do we get there? I'm skipping over some of the things I was going to talk about. Uh, um, Jesus, this, just as an aside, you don't have to pay for this part. (laughs) This conversation I'd love to have been a part of, right? Where Jesus sits down with them and says, okay, guys, we're doing some Bible study. And then he takes them through all of the scriptures from Moses and all the prophets and explained all the things that were about the Messiah from there. Wouldn't that be a great Bible study to be a part of? Oh, my goodness. You know, we're, we're, I'm still scratching my head over a lot of those things. Um, all right, so that was free. So they they... Jesus is is revealed to them to recognize, whoa, he really is here, he really is alive. He disappears. It's almost like poof, he disappears, not he ducked out of the room. He, he just he's gone. Poof, he's gone. And so they hightail it back to to Jerusalem and they go and find the rest of the disciples in the upper room and get together with them. And the other disciples are like, No, hey, guess what? Jesus is alive. He appeared to Peter. They're like, Ha ha, guess what? Jesus is alive. He gave us a Bible study. 
And then a little bit farther, just past the point where we stopped reading today, and I encourage you to go in and, and read it yourselves. Jesus shows up, and verse 44, he, he tells them a couple of things. He says, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled, and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In other words, he gave all the disciples the same Bible study that he had given the two guys on the way to Emmaus. Okay? He said, yes, it was written long ago, the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. Now, I want you guys to kind of get excited a little bit about this because all the things that Jesus was showing them are things that you have in your Bible. Okay? This, this is not mysterious stuff that, that only comes, you know, from sitting on top of a mountain and, you know, having an encounter with God. This is stuff that you can find in your very own Bible. I just challenge you to read it. All right. Wasn't that clever how I did that today? Yeah, that's good. Okay. And he says, it was also written that this message, what message? The message that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. That's the message. It was also written, Jesus said, that this message that the Messiah would die, be buried, and rise from the dead on the third day. This message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And this is attached to the This is part of the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Now that's good, right? But we have we we've watered that down. I, I I think it's it's we've missed the point of how big a statement that is, because we think that sins are a list of rules of how to be good and how not to be bad, and that when you do the things on the how to be bad list that that you've sinned and you get forgiven, and that's not a complete enough picture. That's really what I want to talk about today. That's, that if that's how we picture it, then we can end up thinking about God like, well, because he's God, he gets to say what we do and don't do. And so he made up a list just so we'd have something to keep us busy. And he gets angry if we don't do it right. And while there's some truth in that, that's not the whole truth. And there, it's not that we should think about sin as a list and there's a whole bunch of stuff that we shouldn't do and, you know, there's, there's bad things and stay away from the bad things and there are good things to so try and do the good things. And it's more than that. Do you like, by the way, how I included dancing on this list? I don't think dancing's a sin, but some people do. I, but I, you know, and, and drinking. Is that on the list? It's on, it's on some lists. I don't know if I'd put it on there or not. Drinking's on some people's lists and it's not on other people's lists. And so the lists seem arbitrary and, and all that. But, but we think that whatever the list is, we've got to figure out what the list is so that we don't do that stuff. 
And we've lost the meaning. We assume that sin is about a moral list of right and wrong. And even Christians have different lists. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a list. I mean, after all, God did give a list, didn't he? Ten Commandments. So it's not that having a list is wrong, but it's just not complete with the whole picture of it. Uh, uh, it's not that God gets angry when we don't keep the list. And, you know, that the reason Jesus died is God was angry and he was going to take his wrath out on somebody. And thank goodness the innocent one got it and so we didn't have to deal with it. And that's more of a pagan idea than a Christian idea, really. Uh, why did why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did the Messiah have to die? Why was that something that when Jesus does Bible studies with folks, he takes them back to the beginning and says this whole testament is about the Messiah has to, to come and die and be raised from the dead to be the Messiah. God does get angry when we sin, but it's more like that the anger of of <laughs> Imagine your parents finding you on a tennis court with a violin in your hand, using the violin like a tennis racket. All right? That's not what a violin is for. That's more of the anger of God saying, that's not why I created you. That's not what you're for. Rather than, well, you broke number 232 and... 864, and I'm mad. That's, that's the wrong picture. Okay? Humans were, this is a better way to understand sin. Humans were given a vocation. Humans were intended to care for all of creation and all other people. We are stewards of the whole planet and all it contains. Because we bear the image of God. That's how God created people. That's what it means to be truly human, is we bear the image of God, and then on God's behalf, we steward this whole place and all the people in it so that it reflects back to God the worship that God deserves and it reflects to creation the nature and character of who God is. That's who humans are. That's what it is to bear his image. All of it is supposed to flourish under our care. It, it's kind of like a, you know, a pioneer um, finding a place to set up a homestead and there's a, a, you know, a field of grass and weeds and he turns it into a well-cultivated garden that feeds a town. That's, that's a picture of who we are. More than the picture of, well, you've got to be good little boys and girls, so don't break number two or four or six, and make sure you do eight. Okay? Do you, do you, do you see I'm trying to paint a different picture? This is... Genesis 1. God said, let us make human beings... In our image, to be like ourselves, to be like God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them and said, 
This is what I want you to do. Be fruitful and multiply. That should be easy. And fill the earth and govern it. Look after the whole of the earth, everything in it. That's your job because you have my image. And because you have my image and God's the king of the universe, I want you to have this kingly role of doing that. Look after this. Because that's what kings and leaders are supposed to do. Supposed to look after what's under their care. This is before he gave them the Ten Commandments. And before God gave the Ten Commandments, he, ex- he expanded on this a little bit. Exodus 19, he tells all these people that he's gotten out of, out of slavery. He says, if you obey me, and f- obey me fully and keep my covenant, then all, out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, and you're looking out for it, that's your job, you're supposed to look out, it's mine, but you're stewarding it. You will be for me a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. Well, that's another clue as to who we're supposed to be, who God made us to be. Because kings look out after what's under their care and they take care of it. And priests bring the worship of it to God. That's the role of a priest. It, 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 part, of, part of my role, it even carries down here just for what I was hired to do. Part of what I'm hired to do is to help all of us to come before God and worship Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength for who He is. To put ourselves fully into that. Not just on Sunday mornings, but with everything that we do, Right? We were meant to be a people that function as kings and as priests. That's what it means to be truly human. I'm not talking about humanistic as opposed to God. I'm I'm talking about how God created humans to be. We're, We're supposed to be kings and priests. We're we're given authority and 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 gifts and and we bear his image. That's who we are. Peter wrote about it like this. He said, he wrote this letter, and it was an open letter to to believers, especially Jewish believers, but to believers as they're scattered around. He said, you are a chosen people. Not everybody is like you. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. Royal Kingly, you've got responsibility, you govern, you look out for, you protect, you guide. Priesthood, you reflect back to God the praise and, and the honor that, that, that comes from his image going out across the earth. That's who you are. Okay, now when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't that they broke rule number one. They did break rule number one, right? They had one rule, they blew it. Agreed? But the real important thing about it is they turned from their role 
of bearing the image of God, of, of stewarding this place, of, of governing it as they were entrusted to do. And they turned from worshiping God and, and reflecting back to God the honor and glory he's due. And instead, they listened to the enemy and gave their devotion to someone besides God and were therefore unable to be a royal priesthood. They were unable to govern the world anymore because now they were, they were being governed by the world. They were looking to the world to satisfy them. They were looking to the world to supply what only God was to supply. Therefore, they were unable to govern the world and unable to reflect back to God his glory because they abdicated their role. They were no longer fully human as God had intended them to be. And that's the center of sin. Don't think of sin, even though even God gives us a list, it's not complete enough for you to think that sin is a list of do's and don'ts and good and bad. And It's more centered in the idea of being fully human of being fully able to take on the vocation that God intended for humans to have because he loves us so much, because we bear his image, because he created us for this. And ever since then, people were unable to enter into the role they were meant to have. Adam and Eve had failed to worship their creator, nor could they teach anyone how to worship their creator because they were no longer in the role. They were no longer able to do it. They were no longer able to govern the world because they had, they had turned to the world to govern them. And people have been doing that ever since. When we sin, we give power and authority to things that were never meant to have that power and authority. When we do that, we turn ordinary things, even good things, into dangerous, monstrous things. Okay, here's an example. Take power and sex and money. All of those things, none of those things are bad, right? In fact, all those things are good. Used the way that God wants them to be used. How's our ages? Can I talk about that three-letter word at a high level? All right. Write me a letter afterwards. I'll try and be good about this. Take sex. Sex is supposed to be a great thing. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Right? It's a good thing in its context. Not only does it serve a a purpose, it's, it's pleasurable, it reflects God's glory. There's a lot of great things about it. However... When instead you make that the thing that you're serving, that that's an appetite that you're trying to satisfy at whatever cost, then you're taking it out of its rightful place, and in essence, you're worshiping it. 
You're, you're, you're looking to it to satisfy you. Right? Do you see where I'm going with this? And then it becomes dangerous. And what was meant for good is now something that, that's turned on its head and causes destruction. Because it was never meant to be the object of your worship, the object of building your life around it, the object of satisfying you at the expense of other things. It, it, it has a place. And when it's in its place, it's wonderful. But when it becomes the object of your affection, it's dangerous. Do you see that? I know we're kind of talking at a high level here. But... We sacrifice to these things. We obey their every command. And there's nothing that deserves our sacrifice and our obedience except for God. But people ever since Adam and Eve have done that somehow in some way. We're serving the creation rather than the creator. We're obeying our every hunger. Food is a great thing. Gluttony is not, right? Not only are we led apart from God, we're led apart from from the role we're supposed to play, that fully human place that we're supposed to be, as beloved children on high that reflect his image and function as kings to govern and put things in the right and proper order, and as priests to reflect back to God the worship that he so rightly deserves. This isn't really at its core about a list of right and wrong things. We cannot steward and take care of a world that we worship. And when we're no longer connected with God, we no longer know Him, we no longer trust Him, we no longer serve Him and obey Him. We're seeking fulfillment in careers, we're seeking fulfillment in relationships. Instead of our worship and service to God. That's the essence of sin. And when God gave the Ten Commandments, He wasn't giving just a list of arbitrary right and wrongs. He's like, this is how you stay in good relationship. Here's some big pointers, guys. This is how you, you show, you become the people that I made you to be. First of all, worship me only. Second, don't worship other things. Right? And if we go about life that way, then we become who we're supposed to be. But we're still stuck and nobody was ever fully able to do that. Just like the, 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 uh, Israelites who were slaves in Egypt weren't free to go and worship God. Moses goes to Pharaoh a couple of times and says, God says, let my people go so they can come and worship me. And Pharaoh said, no. They were stuck. And we're stuck until the Messiah, Jesus, dies on the cross for our sins. And he died to free us from from the bondage of being stuck in that broken situation so that we can actually step into what we're called to be. Not just to be good boys and girls that get gold stars in Sunday school. 
don't think too small. He died on the cross to free us from that bondage so that we could become fully human and again become a royal priesthood that governs the world and takes care of people in all of the ways that, that need to happen so that all of us and all of the world reflects back to God the worship and honor and glory due His name. One of Jesus' first followers, his name was John, was able to kind of peek behind the curtain of things that are going to happen. And this is what he sees. He sees this scene in heaven that he says, they told me this is going to happen, just, you know, just like I saw it. So I saw heavenly beings, you know, I call them elders. They were elders and they were worshiping Jesus. And this is what they said. They tell Jesus, You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. And we won't go into all that today. But you're worthy because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You purchased people with your blood. You set them free from from the place where they were stuck. Not so they could go to heaven... Not so they could become good boys and girls. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. When you become a Christian, do not limit yourself to the small idea that you can now go to heaven. Yes, that's great. Good benefit. Glad for it. Are we all glad? Yes, great stuff. Glad for it. You were saved, you were purchased at the price of the life of the Messiah so that you could become a kingdom and priest to serve our God and reign on the earth. That's who you are. You are a royal priesthood sent to govern creation. So that it reflects to God the worship He is due. And that goes to everything from how you take care of your lawn to how you take care of your children and parents and the poor and the people in power and the folks who don't know what they're doing because they they have no idea how to do what God made them to do. Jesus' blood wasn't only shed to forgive us from doing, for doing bad things. Romans 8. Paul writes to the church in Rome. says, The law of Moses was enabled to save us. Having rules doesn't make you into the kind of people you're supposed to be. It doesn't let you bear the image of God. It just points out to you that you're not able to do it. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law couldn't do. He sent His own Son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. You are no longer controlled by the bondage of worshiping things that were created. 
rather than the Creator. You are no longer in that bondage. This world, as much as it may entice you, as much as those things that you see on the internet and the things that your friends are doing and the, you know, as much as, as that entices you, you are no longer bound to find your fulfillment in those things. It can never do for you what it was, what it, it promises it will, but it can't. You are now able to step into who God made you to be. To be a royal priesthood, to steward all creation, and to bring the worship of all creation before God. Second Corinthians. Paul writes a letter. He wrote four of them that we know of. This is, we, have, we have copies of two of them. The second one. He says in this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. If you're a Christian... You're a new person. You're not just forgiven for the things you did. You're a new person. Something has changed in who you are. You are now able to fully be an image bearer of God. You weren't able to do that before. But anyone who belongs to Christ can do that. You become a new person. The old life, gone. New life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. Because that's the function of a priest. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not just all the people in the world. The world was a broken place too. Chaotic. And even that is coming under God's plan. God was reconciling the world to himself, all the people and everything, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we're Christ's ambassadors. You see him on TV? This is Ambassador Jones. The ambassador to... Now, you know, you're Ambassador McCown. You're Ambassador Pierce. Right? We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, and we speak for the Messiah when we plead, Come back to God. This is who we are. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Please don't limit yourself to thinking that, well, you know, I've just got to be good and not do the bad things and all that. You miss the point of why you were set free and given a new identity in Christ. You have a bigger destiny than just being a good boy and girl. Now, here's my question. What would it be like? What would it be like if Christians really grabbed a hold of this? What would it be like if around the world, those who are identified, who have, who have received new life in Jesus, who, who are saved, who are looking forward to heaven, rightfully so, but what, what would it be like around the world if people grabbed on to be the royal priesthood? 
of governing the world and helping the world to come into the order that God planned for it. Helping the people to understand what it is to live a life that's, that's not only pleasing to God, but to live a life that enables them to enter into being a royal priesthood. How to raise kids and, and govern the nations and you know, how to do all that stuff. What would it be like if Christians really grabbed a hold of that? Would it be different than the way it looks right now? What would it be like in Jacksonville if Christians grabbed a hold of this? What would change? What would change in offices, in schools, in neighborhoods? Crime goes down because people are discovering who they are and learning there's a different way to deal with it, right? Marriages get strengthened. Because people take the time to, to sit with folks and say, okay, we're, we're going to take our vow seriously. We said when y'all were married that we're taking a vow to support you in the marriage. And so we're going to sit down with you and help you hash it out, help you find a way for, for God's grace to come into this. That would change. Lots of things would change. Friendships would change. Instead of, instead of friends egging each other on to see how radically daring and, and, and uh, indiscreet you can be, maybe friends are encouraging each other to see how radically kingly and priestly they could be. You know? What would happen if we grabbed hold of this? Because that's who we are. It's who you were made to be. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Not only don't forget it, but we've got to figure out how to step into it. Amen? Can I have one person who's willing to pray on our behalf and lift that up to God somehow? Would somebody be willing to do that? Just pray for us if you would in that. Thank you. Let's pray. Amen. Amen. Let's keep an attitude of, of prayer as we go into the prayers of the people. All of those who affirm our faith is expressed in the words of the Nicene Creed, please say amen. Amen. Let's continue in prayer. I invite you to kneel.